0: Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Tonic.
1: Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Onyx. On today's episode, I am joined by Mr. Donnie Vincent. Donnie is someone that I've been Wanting to have on from the moment I started this podcast, he's one of my top guys that I had written down as far as like this is this is like a hit list of people I love to interview and and it was awesome to be able to have that chance to to get to talk with him and just a super super good guy and uh, just very very nice and uh, and is an amazing storyteller. So this episode we'll dive into just Donnie's background, hunting the the North Country and why he chooses to do so and just, you know, his decision on going into and, and choosing a place to hunt, immersing yourself in the environment, training for those situations, and really just doing mentally challenging things and being present in today's world. So I can't wait for everyone to get to listen to this episode with Donnie. But first The East Meets West Hunt podcast is brought to you by Onyx. And the Onyx Hunt app is your premier GPS hunting app that turns your phone into a working GPS. And so one of the features that I've been using a lot recently in the last week or so since the snow has been melting, I've been out in the woods doing some scouting and I'm using the tracking feature to be able to I turn it on tells me how far I go and also shows a line of where I went and if you're trying to pick up sheds it's really helpful to to see as you're gridding an area or you're checking out going through or even walking a hillside making sure you didn't miss a bench as you're scouting and it's, it's really helpful and, and for me I actually was uh I, I picked up a shed on Saturday and I set it down take a little break have a snack and left then I was about three-quarters of a mile away before I realized I forgot it. Well, I did a big loop, and how I remembered where it was is you could see where I had stopped in my track, and I kind of moved around a little bit, so you could see that area, that dot, and I went back and ended up finding it. So just a a funny story by using the tracking feature. But anyways, if you want to check out the Onyx Hunt app for yourself, head over to OnyxMaps.com and use the coupon code EMW to save 20%. And Tethered. Tethered is a company founded on the principles of educating the hunting community on saddle hunting. So while they're creating the most innovative, lightweight, safe products for saddle hunting, they're also teaching people a ton on saddle hunting through the teach and train tour, the content they put online. And I'm currently using the Phantom Saddle System and Predator platform for all of my mobile hunts. To learn more about Tethered and saddle hunting, head over to TetheredNation.com. Maven Maven is building the highest quality optics at half of the price of their competitors through their direct to consumer business model. They want to create the best optics for the job period. Their products are back with a lifetime no fault warranty and an incredible customer experience. And Donnie who I have on today's episode is a big fan of Maven Optics as well and they're just they're an incredible company as you heard on the last podcast I did with Cade And really putting out some good products. So if you want to check that out, head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the coupon code eastmeetswest-gift for a free gift with any full price optics order. And lastly, Spartan Forge. So hunters require an accurate forecast for the best hunting days and best hunting spots to save time on scouting and executing the hunts. Well, the Spartan Forge Outfitter utilizes years of military background and machine learning to pull from millions of data points to accurately predict that deer movement, including GPS data, 30 years of weather, academic and state research. So they're using science rather than someone's opinion to help you figure out the movement in your hunting area. I have a pretty cool podcast with Bill from Spartan Forge and Johnny Stewart coming out probably next week. So be looking for that to have some more background on the the company and well just hunting stories. But for now if you want to head over to spartanforge.ai you can use the code east meets west to save 25% off of the outfitter. Alright, so on today's Mountain Buck Story of the Week, or otherwise known as Mountain Buck Monday, over on social media, the story comes from Richard Tribend. And Richard, I apologize if I mispronounced your last name. I was going off your social media handle, so hopefully I got that right. And Richard's story is, I made it up to camp the day before the opening day of the Pennsylvania gun season. I got deep into a large piece of Pennsylvania public ground the day before to check some areas I e-scouted on Onyx and found the perfect bench working across a steep hillside just off of the creek bottom. I still hunted my way into the location the next morning and bumped some does and decided to sit down and take an early lunch. Not a minute later, I heard a branch crack and caught movement coming from an old clear cut heading towards a bench I was overlooking. The buck stepped out at 60 yards when I settled in and placed a fatal shot. Not having any cell service led to one heavy pack out a little over four miles in. This is my personal best whitetail and to take it from a camp that me and my friends have been enjoying since high school just makes it that much better. And I love that story. It hits home uh, with the camp aspect and being able to go in and just get it done off the ground during the, the Pennsylvania gun season. Just a really great buck, too. So if you head over to social media, the East Meets West Hunt Instagram page or East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, you can check out the photo of Richard's buck. It's uh, pretty awesome. So send in your story. I'd love to feature it on a, a Mountain Buck Monday or Mountain buck Story of the Week, and uh, so up until now, I haven't been able to scout a whole lot this winter and spring. We got so much snow and ice that I haven't even been able to drive into my spots. The roads have been so bad, not taking not taken care of as as they normally are. But this year, just seemed like we got some more snow and ice later. And so this past week, I got out a couple of days after work, but this weekend I really got. Uh, to get in and put some miles in, on Saturday I put in ten miles hiking around a spot that I had hunted this past year, and just really trying to learn more of the land. It was my first year hunting it last year, so I was just trying to get in and you know try to figure out where some of these bucks are bedded, where they're coming from, and just learning more. And there was still a decent amount of snow there. I picked up one old shed. Um, that looked like it was an artifact. I mean, it was, it was actually buried into the ground up until only about two inches of the G2 and a piece of the brow tine was sticking out and it was frozen into the ground. So I I got that and just found some, some really good spots, put together some, some videos that uh, eventually I'll get up on, on YouTube. So I'm pretty excited about that. And then on Sunday I went into a spot I'd never hunted, but scouted quite a bit. And it's funny, if you watch the long haul film that I put out last month, there was a, a section in there where I was talking about scouting on Sunday and I mentioned this Crick Bottom spot that I'd never hunted, but I believed it would be a really good midday cruising area. Well, I should have took my own advice and hunted it that week because I just pulled the trail camera that was soaking in there and I had this just absolutely incredible buck. Moved through there three days in a row in daylight, and one of the times was a little after 10 a.m., and the other time was at 12.43 p.m. So just goes to show, I mean yeah, I, I guess I, I should have put the time in there rather than just talking about it. So it's so only so many spots that you can hunt and just learning from that, uh, those, those trail camera photos is, is just crucial, crucial information. I'm really looking forward to learning more about this piece and scouting it some more and, I uh, picked up one small fresh shed on the, the way out. So, uh, this, this next month I'll be, putting on a lot of miles in the woods, learning old spots, checking out new areas, and just trying to learn and continually learn. Every year I learn more, and I'm, I'm fascinated by it. So anyways, we will get into this episode with Mr. Donnie Vincent. Enjoy. All right, we're live. Donnie Vincent, how are you? Welcome to the show.
0: I'm good man. I'm good. Uh yeah, I really appreciate it. Thank you. For thank for uh asking.
1: Yeah. Well before before I even get into to talking you through uh intro and stuff here, but what one thing I wanted to say first off is I wanted to thank you because you were one of two people that really inspired me to start adventure hunting years ago uh when I I first watched the, the rivers divide film and then just started looking into your videos. I think it was right when you released who we are. It was like 2016 is that winter Is when I started planning my first elk hunt that year and, okay. and started and it's really just turned into something where now I'm trying to help others plan it and started doing films and everything that was like, it was, I, so I just wanted to thank you first and foremost for, uh, being that inspiration for me.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. I mean, it's, um, you know, that's not really why I set out to do this stuff, but it's just a natural <laughs> kind of evolution. And I've been helping friends of mine for years because um, they would ask me, you know, I'd go spend 20 days in Alaska by myself and and hunt caribou and moose and, and black bears. And, you know, and they, I'd come home and they kind of sensationalized the experience. You know, they'd want to know, all these grand tales. And I certainly had grand tales to tell, but I wanted to almost compartmentalize that stuff and kind of push it off the side and, and tell them, that, you know, that they could do this. Like they, this isn't superhero stuff. This is, you, you certainly have to have a strong mind, but it, I wanted to tell them stories, but equal, I wanted to to get them to in the mindset that they could do it themselves
1: yeah no i th- i think that's i think that's awesome and and I know I'm not the only one that uh taken is probably taking that route from seeing your stuff and everything it was kind of the of the beginning of that different type of hunting content that was be, being put out there and I thought that was cool and, and one one of the things I said in the intro before we started recording here was i said having you on here I know you've been on some other podcasts and stuff before and I wanted to take it a little bit of a um a little bit of a different turn and and talk about some stories and go through things. But so with, but without, with that being said, you still got to give a little bit of a background on yourself and who you are and, and, and also your business that you've created.
0: Yeah. So, um, the long and short of it is I'm in love with wildlife. I love landscapes. I love wild animals. I love being outside. I love the weather. Um, From songbirds to amphibians, reptiles, large mammals, hunting, bird watching, just being outside shooting my bow or just taking the dogs for a walk. It's, it's, uh, I'm just completely captivated by, by being outside. And so, uh, you know, out of high school, I didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't a very successful high school student. Um, I got along with all of my teachers. I think they were all quietly rooting for me. I hope, um, but, um, you know, I just kind of kept trying to find my way into working with wildlife and working with animals. And uh, I worked in a couple of veterinary offices and and, um, and uh, ended up going in, in, uh, to the University of Minnesota and learning about wildlife biology and fisheries biology. And then ended up working as a research scientist for U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service uh, and, and the University of Minnesota itself, the Bell Museum of Natural History. Which um, somehow turned into, you know, I had this infatuation, this this intrinsic love with Alaska from reading a bunch of books when I was a kid, and I really wanted to get outside and 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 see uh, really wild places, not not just hunt in my backyard, which I also wanted to do, but I wanted to see caribou and grizzly bears and moose, and and um, so I started hunting in Alaskan, which led to me telling stories to people and, and getting into storytelling, which led to um, people asking more about my hunts, which led to me actually taking a camera along and and documenting my story and documenting my experience to share with people that, that um, I was having difficulties articulating it to at home, which led to actually working with gentlemen that knew how to use a camera and really were talented. And I became the storyteller and they helped me tell the story. And then we formed, um, in 2012, 2011 or 2012, we formed sick Manta, uh, which is our production house. And so we do a bunch of commercial work for companies like Benelli, Shields, Mossberg, um, true velocity, uh, Maven optics to, um, to do in our our venture films uh, things that you'll find under my name uh terra nova uh the rivers divide uh, the other side and, and uh, winds of deck so far and we have man alive if people knew how much content i had filmed and how much i have that i'm sitting on top of to produce and bring out like i mean we could if we had the time we could produce 10 more films
1: yeah, I can imagine. I mean, I know when you released the other side, how how many years of filming did that t- like was involved in that? I mean, you could almost uh, see it throughout the the years of the different hunts. I mean, you could.
0: Oh yeah, it was, it was six six plus years from Northwest Alaska in the spring for grizzlies, um, spring coastal hunts on Vancouver Island for black bears, fall coastal hunts on Vancouver Island for black bears, multiple brown bear hunts on the Alaska peninsula and Kodiak Island. Uh, I mean, it was years and years and years. And a lot of people would see these. I even had a couple of industry guys kind of get down on me. Um, uh, people would come away from these projects, you know, maybe if, if without a bear, or without something really kind of bookmarking the end, the beginning and ends of those stories with feeling that they just spent a bunch of money and went to an amazing place and kind of came home with nothing. But that's the opposite of how I see it. I see it as an individual layer of what is, you know, when, when I just see it as a richness and that richness, it just continues to grow as, as we film and go to places and just gives us more to bite our teeth into.
1: Yeah, no, I, I think it's, it's very I think it's very well received and and the one thing I will say is I was I was kinda waiting for the next thing to come out. It felt like there was, you know, the, the gap in there. And I understand a long time. I understand why a hundred percent. It was just like for me as a, a viewer and I I feel like I don't take in a ton of uh hunting media, um, especially because i i produce a lot of it from my own standpoint, so I'm always busy doing that. But I was really looking forward to I was like, you know, when when are you gonna come out with something and uh and then once you did and then I mean the winds of Adak wasn't too far behind what was it another no. year or so
0: yeah, it was basically a year so we did you know we did the rivers divide and then we did tearing over the very next year then we had a pretty big hiatus then the other side and there's maybe one other one year off or uh, three quarters of a year and then the winds of Adak and we're gonna um we're slotting our calendars right now to produce another one um this year
1: oh so. okay. Are you, yeah. are you able to say what that one's going to be? Or is that still, um,
0: yeah, I think, I think we want to do something entirely different. So I think this is going to be a piece about, um, Australia. Interesting. And I've spent, um, I've spent now like five weeks or six weeks in Australia with a very good friend. I would consider him one of my very best friends, Nick Joyce, who is a native Australian. He is maybe, um, maybe maybe the one of the most soulful men i've ever had the privilege of hunting with i've had i, I pause there because i've hunted with some really fantastic people um, but nick um started inviting me to australia years ago and i would kind of just write it off he'd invite me to come and hunt asiatic water buffalo and i would write it off and he'd email me again and just i get invited on a, a lot of hunts and 99.9% of them i say no thank you but he just kept trying. He just kept trying. And then finally, I said, let's hop on a phone call. And we talked. And I could tell that he loved the buffalo. And I could tell that he loved Australia, the snakes, the lizard, the fish, the crocodiles, as much as I would had I had I been able to get there or when I was able to get there. And and uh, that's number one for me. Like If somebody wants me to come and hunt with them, show me how much you love the environment. Show me how much you love the animals. And show me how much you love immersing yourself into it. And that's what's going to get me, you know, to kind of pop on it. And he's, God, yeah, that kid is—he's—he's—he's he's, he's got a lot going on between his ears, and he's—he's he's a really good dude. He's—he's he's about as Aboriginal and bush as they get. Yet he's—he's <laughs> he's, uh, uh, a handsome young lad, and so we've had a lot of good adventures, and, and I think we have a really cool film that we can put together for Australia.
1: Oh, that's awesome! I'm—I'm I'm definitely looking forward to that. Uh, so the—the the one thing I wanted to kind of transition to here is. The, one of the things I noticed with you particularly is you, you tend to hunt the North country versus the lower 48 more so. And, and can you kind of explain why, why that is?
0: You mean like Northern Canada and Alaska? Yeah. Yep. I just like getting away from people, you know, you, like when you, I mean, there's some wild country in the lower 48 and I've had some really wild hunts, um, You know, even close to home, I've had some really wild hunts in North Dakota, but basically just want to escape. Like the, the further I go, the smaller the airplanes get, uh, you know, I'm going to have this opportunity to, to get out of the airplane, throw my bag on the ground, take my bow out, watch that airplane take off and just fall into silence. I mean, for the most part, I don't even see other airplanes, I don't see other hunters. I just am, can hike as far as I want any one direction and really and really not run into people. And that's that's what I chase. That's what I'm chasing.
1: You know, and I, I can relate to that. This past year was the first year I went to Alaska to hunt. I'd visited and I decided to do a caribou hunt. And what I ended up finding out when I was with uh, the air charter that was flying us in, um, they asked if I knew you and apparently you had flown with them as well. Oh, who who was it? Ram Aviation.
0: Oh yeah, with Brian. Yeah,
1: Brian. Yeah. So yeah, I know
0: but, Brian. I've flown with Brian a bunch.
1: Yeah, he's an yeah. awesome guy. Man, a few yeah. words and just oh, yeah. like, <laughs> 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 and uh, so yeah, we flew with him. Uh, me and one of my uh, best buddies and, and that from growing up, and then then our my film producer and and uh, videographer cinematographer, and we all went in there and after that, well. After that hunt, I was like, I don't know how it's tough to try to plan something on a, I love Western hunting in the United States, Mm -hmm. but the people aspect, it it just, I don't know. It it degraded that a little bit from the experience that I had up there where we got Mm -hmm. dropped off and I never saw another person, you know, every once in a while you see a plane fly over and, that was it and the arctic on yep. um, you know the north slope of the brooks range which is incredible this is such mm-hmm. an incredible experience how
0: was your hunt
1: it was it was great i mean it was funny because you know i said brian's a man of few words but so we were flying in and we took one plane in and uh, it was a cessna 180 i think is the plane mm-hmm. that so we had three of us in there four of us in there including him and then we puddle jumped in with one of the the smaller Pubs. super yeah yep, yep. and And he came back and he was like, Hey, we couldn't get to your spot. The weather was starting to get bad. So we're going to, we dropped uh, your first guy off at one of the spots. So we're going to take you in. And there's this little, this little creek bottom, this little sandbar, rock bar. And we're coming into it. And I'm like, How are we going to land a plane on this spot? (laughs) You know? And, And you know, I, I trusted him. He has obviously been doing it forever. He's Very talented, and he is, and he did it perfectly. I mean, it was it was more it was smoother than some commercial flights I had been on. Yeah. And we yeah. got in, and and he said to us, I said, you know, we're like, oh, you've been, you know, seeing any caribou like flying over? He's like, oh. Well, not really Ray here. He's like, but I figured you guys look like you're in good shape. I'd recommend hiking up over that mountain there. It's about, yeah. he's like, that's about, you know, two miles from here, but I'd recommend going that way. And uh, yeah, so we're like, you know, kind of in our head we're, and he just left, you know, we're like, yeah. are, are we going to see anything? You know, what's, and uh, <laughs> what, what that did though was, was so cool because that on the first day, like we had a, well, the first day we flew in, you obviously can't, go anywhere as far as you can't hunt so we had to wait and we got camp set up and just kind of enjoyed it and the first morning we we saw two grizzly bears up on that saddle and watched them through the the spotters for a while and then some caribou were way up on the top of this ridge and we put a stock on them but a really terrible storm blew in and uh and ended up moving them off of this cliff face this open hillside they were on and and we ended up doing this big, like nine or 10 mile loop. And it was the most beautiful hike that, that had ever been on. And I ended up missing, uh, a, a bull, um, it was about four and a half miles from camp and, uh, it ended up being kind of a, a blessing from that side of it. It Whoa. was, it was quite, quite a bit of ways, but anyways, we got to, you know, continue to hunt more and then, and, and, uh, throughout the, we ended up, finding this herd raise the fog lifted in the morning, coming down the valley and put a stock on it. And both me and my buddy doubled up on two beautiful bulls. I mean, it was, it just happened so fast. And, and, uh, it it was, it was awesome to be able to pack that meat back to camp. And we were sitting in camp and this, this Arctic Fox came right up, right up to us at camp and just like look like you never saw anybody before and yeah. and it was just I don't know, it was just it was incredible.
0: Oh yeah, that's I mean, you've described something that I've experienced. I mean, I've I've only flown with Brian on a Kotzebue once so far, but I've flown with him on the Alaska Peninsula four or five times, something like that. Um, but I'm gonna continue to fly with him. I'm not going with him this fall, but after this I, I plan on basically going with him every fall and just um, hunting with him. I, I actually might, I just text him yesterday. Um, cause I want to, I want to get up in that country this summer and, and go up there and, and, uh, just, just breathe a little bit, hike around a little bit. And, and, um, but I have another caribou and moose hunt booked, um, in Alaska this year. So I, I can't kill a caribou with him because then I'm tagged out for, her. You know this other herd, so I just want to see some new country. But um yeah, he's he's a, he's an awesome dude, man. He's a, were you guys rifle hunting or bow hunting?
1: We're rifle hunting.
0: Oh, yep. smart, good. Yep. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. I, it's funny. I actually was planning on taking a bow until about three weeks before the hunt, and yeah. um, I, you know I thought it through, and I I typically bow hunt but i'm never opposed to rifle hunting i love rifle hunting but i was like for me that doesn't change the experience of this hunt whether i have a bow or a rifle and so and i was like and i also want to increase my odds of success and you know brian had said to us he's like hey depending on where i drop you off it might be difficult to stalk with a bow and ended up being we were in the mountains essentially so i think we could have done it with the bow but it was it was yeah, so we did end up doing it with a rifle and it was it was pretty it was pretty awesome to be able to see that and, and even seeing oh, yeah. and seeing grizzly bears, which that was the first time that I'd ever been on a hunt in an area that had grizzlies and yeah. to be able to see them and then one morning wake up and there was tracks through camp and yeah. and it was just I don't know, it was it was it was something crazy.
0: Yeah, I love it there. That but that's that's why I go there, man, is to to have the freedom and to see the animals behaving like animals and and um, I used to kind of look that, I used to kind of um, take it for granted, I guess, and and not anymore. Like I, you know, years ago, um you used to be able to hunt moose out of katsubu with just an over-the-counter tag. And they had, I mean, I can't even tell you how many times I've been in Katsubu bringing in my caribou. And guys are right next to me bringing in these absolutely like 70 inch bull moose. And, and I always told myself like, it was never going to go away. And I'd always say like, okay, next year I'll do a moose hunt next year. I'll do a moose hunt. But I just kept doing caribou, um, just because it was a little bit cheaper and I was in college and I could afford it a little bit better. And I, it was tricky for me to find guys to go with. So like I can handle a caribou, but I was worried about handling a moose by myself back then. And, and, um, and now it's, you know, now there's no moose hunting there.
1: Yeah. So why do they stop it?
0: Um, it's a lot of, um, there's a couple of different reasons and I don't want to pretend like I know all the variables, but I think there's a lot of uh, native pressure, uh, from the Inuit people of, of Katsubu to kind of shut down, um, non-residents from coming in there and, and shooting moose. And, and, um, I think there's a lot of, like I said, I think there's a lot of politics around it. And, um, but, um. You know, there's, there there used to be a lot of moose in that area. I don't know what the moose population is now. I hunted it not that long ago, a few years ago, um, the year before we came out with who we are. And I saw tons of moose, tons and tons of moose, tons of bulls, tons of cows. So, um, you know, it's, 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 I think it's more political than it is anything else, but Mm -hmm. um, they're trying to, U.S. Fish and Wildlife is trying to preserve the, the relationship with the native people there and, and and rightfully so as they should but um but yeah i think there's a lot of pressures that are that are um uncommon and unique
1: yeah so why why i mean i know you said about the cost a little bit but was there any anything else as far as caribou that kept drawing you back to hunting them specifically
0: you mean like over elk or just in de- just in, in,
1: in, yeah just in general like going back to alaska like what why were you choosing caribou for the most part
0: yeah it's just um you know watching them move You know, watching the herds come through the mountains, and you know, all of their antlers were so vastly different. You know, you could you could see one with just massive tops, and one with massive fronts, and occasionally you'd get one with them all. But I just loved camping there and and uh, seeing the northern lights and watching. You know, each day. You know, like for instance, if you're elk hunting, you know, you kind of hike into a basin, and I've only elk hunted a little bit, so I don't want to pretend like I know what I'm talking about. But you hike into a basin. You have bugling bulls, of course, bulls can come in and bulls can go out and you might have hunters coming in and hunters going out, but you know, there's a lot going on. But like with caribou, very often you're seeing new herds every single day. You're seeing new animals every single day. Now that the, the downfall is, you know, I'm not calling to these bulls. They're not coming in rutting. Um, we did kind of call in the bull that we, that we killed in Terra Nova, that woodland caribou, we kind of grunted him in, but. Excuse me. um, But just, it's just the wild country, man. It's seeing grizzly bears, seeing wolves, you know, sitting down at night next to your tent, listening to a stream run by or waking up in the morning and having grizzly tracks. Right. I mean, I, I've slept on a couple of sandbars there without even a tent, nothing. And literally would wake up in the morning to big bear, a big grizzly bear, a big adult bear, Literally circled me like three times at night and then walked off and I never, A, I I, I didn't have a gun and B, I didn't wake up at all. Like you'd think like, (laughs) oh, I'm for sure going to wake up. No, this big girl or big boy, I think it was a big boar, walked around me three times on this sandbar. I mean, he walked within like eight yards of me and then he, you know, he left. And he's probably like, "What in the hell is this stinky thing laying on the sandbar?" <laughs> yeah, you <know>? yeah. <laughs> that's so, you know that that's that's why though you know, and yeah. seeing their white manes and and uh, it's it's it literally defines my life.
1: It, it is crazy how we never saw one bull that looked anything like another one. Everyone, like the antlers, the bodies, the manes, like the one that that i killed didn't have much for tops but it had big double shovels on the front and just giant fronts big white mane big body old bull and the one that my buddy michael shot was had big tops with splits on it and stuff and not as much on the fronts and his mane was didn't have the the white to it it was more brown and like it, it was just it was really cool to see them kind of next to each they weren't we didn't shoot them right next to each other, but just the the differences in the two bulls was, was incredible. And, and yeah, it was caribou hunting. You know, when I first planned that it was more of like, okay, I wanted, this was my gateway into Alaska and I was going to start. And then I was going to move on, you know, another species and try And then after I embraced myself into and had that hunt, I was like, I could go back for caribou every year and be yeah. completely satisfied. It was more about even the location for me too like just being able to go to that place and for a reasonable price like it was you can't beat that
0: no no it's it's an amazing place it's uh yeah it's one of my favorites
1: so when when you when you choose like the the hunts that you're gonna go on do you look at it as more of a species specific or location or a little bit of both like how how are you choosing on these adventures that you want to go on
0: Uh, for sure. Both. Um, you know, I'll find animals. And then, um, one of the things that I really like to kind of track down is, um, mature animals. Right. I I'm, uh, it's, um, hunting younger class animals is not something that interests me all that much. I have nothing against it. I have lots of friends and colleagues that do it and there's, um, I think it's amazing, but, um, but I, I liked. I want to find wild places, and I want to find herds of animals, or um, the ability for individual animals to reach maturity. That just excites me to see um, all the different age classes in the area. I shouldn't say that I'm just looking for mature, mature animals, but to go to an area that has all the age classes of animals, all the way from yearlings all the way up to elder elder class um cows and bulls or bucks and does um that's really what i'm looking for i want to see wild places and and um you know i got caught with my hand in the cookie jar last year uh i was up in alaska i did not have a very good hunt which which happens but um i kind of was talking to the pilot that i flew with last year and and he said you know what is it that you want to accomplish and and I said, I was hunting moose, hunting moose and grizzly bears. And, and, uh, when I said, I'd, I would just love to find a, you know, an old mature bull moose and a really wild place. And that's important to me and as much of like location and the animals and the type of hunting. And, um, and he said, well, he said, I think we can do it. He said, and I don't want to, I don't want to misspeak, but he basically said like, you know, sometimes we'll find older bulls in different areas and we'll kind of set in on them and, and camp on them. And then we'll, we'll sneak in and hunt those individual animals. And I said, I, I really don't want to do that. That's not, that's not for me. I'd rather float through an area or hike through an area or, you know, basically trek through an area, old school manner, you know, kind of like different scenery every day or different scenery every couple of days. And, and, um, and hunt big bulls that way, and and uh, by and large, you know, when when we've wrapped up, uh, my biggest disappointment was I saw a lot of people, a ton of people, and the particular river that we were on, um, we felt as though people weren't going to be able to access it because it was, uh, the conditions were uncertain at best, but then we, as, as we trekked down into this lower part of the river, we realized that, um, there was a gentleman that had accessed it with a jet boat and, um, I'm sorry, an airboat, uh, you know, he had like an airplane engine on his boat and, and, um, and lo and behold, right away, we floated into this very wild area and it was really cool. Um, beautiful we saw some cool animals there nothing nothing in the in the likes of mature moose but um right away we started seeing human tracks on all the sandbars you know and that's that's not something that I'm generally used to and so that wasn't a very good experience for me but when I when I got back to base camp there were several guys in camp with really big bulls uh which I was stoked for them I think that's awesome but kind of when I was starting to you know I kind of inquired with the pilot I was like man like you know, like it's an incredible bull, like, you know, talking to him and he's like, yeah, he's like, this is an incredible bull, but this particular bull was right next to a mining camp. And you kind of said you wanted to, and, and again, I wasn't complaining. He wasn't justifying, but he's like, you know, you said you didn't want to see people and you wanted to be, you wanted a wilderness experience. Well, this bull happened to be living right next to a mining camp. And so like we had to drop hunters in on. So hunting for me is very much about intrinsic value as much as it is finding, uh, an elder class animal. And so, um, you know, if I have to go through, um, it's, it's, it's difficult to say, but if I have to kind of cut corners or, um, or compromise my beliefs or kind of how I want to go through the situation to get a big mature animal, I really, I really don't like to do that. And and I kind of like it the hard way. And, um, and even though I'm doing it the hard way, that doesn't mean I'm all of a sudden going to pop on a younger animal or whatever, because it still doesn't, it just doesn't. I'd much rather watch them and give them another year or two than to, than to short stroke my hunt. So it's really weird. I have a lot of, I have a lot of very high expectations in myself and I try to find areas of the wilderness and and of woods that, that enhance that. But saying that, Bo, like, if I'm hunting in Illinois or South Dakota or somewhere and I'm hunting on somebody's farm and I'm in a tree stand or on the ground right next to somebody's barn or, or, you know, I can see their home or whatever. That doesn't bother me at all because I'm hunting an animal that is kind of a woodland animal, right? You know, like when I hunt whitetails, I don't mean I have to go as far out, you know, or muleys. Like if I was hunting muleys on open plains and I could see farm country in the, in the distance, that doesn't bother me at all because that adds up to my head adds up in my mind but when i'm hunting alaska yukon moose i don't want to be looking at a mining camp yeah per se does that make does that make sense and i certainly don't want to be look at um a giant red airboat with a dragon painted on the side that says like dragon com, you know and and y- y- you get my drift yeah yeah
1: no yeah. I, I i definitely do and I, I can i can relate to that and it's like for me i mean i i get that way even with whitetails, like I feel like I I could hunt a, a lot of places that have bigger animals and some stuff. And like, I, I love Pennsylvania from the standpoint of, I don't, in, in archery season in rifle season, it gets quite a bit of pressure, but in archery season, I don't see anybody for the most part and I can get away and are my odds of success low? Yes. Um, but there's that potential to see these old deer that just act like deer in the, in these places and, and I love that. Like I, I have trouble trying to go somewhere else when I can explore different parts of Pennsylvania that have those things that I'm looking for. In it, it makes me feel like I'm on a, you know, an adventure style hunt somewhere in the in the Rocky Mountains or in Alaska or whatever. You know, it's it's all a little bit different. But in 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 my opinion, I, I like those type of environments more. I tried it when I I used to live outside of Pittsburgh for a while and hunted some of those uh suburban type areas and and i I guess i got a little bit used to it when i had the mindset that that's what it was but i just i couldn't get full like i don't know i couldn't get fully engulfed and it's the same thing too with like when i go on these hunts i like to be able to get my mind in that frame where if i'm if say if I, I, I work a day job, so I say I work seven to four at my job and then I try to go hunt after work, which I do do from time to time, but mm-hmm. I, I have trouble switching my mind into that point to really enjoy and embrace that experience. And that's, it's, it's difficult to, to do that. And I know you you're a big fan of long hunts. Like when you go to places, you typically go for quite a while, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, typically, you know, like, like, if, for instance, if I'm flying out with Brian, like, I don't want to be there any less than 14 days. Like, I just want to immerse myself and, and I'll, you know, I'll go to a couple of different camps and really look things over and hike around and just kind of enjoy my time in the Arctic. But, um, you start to really see things, you know, things, things, animals start to kind of, um, bump back into their routines and you, and just by, just by happenstance, you're in the country and you see, you know, you'll watch a pack of wolves hunting or you'll see a fantastic, uh, this year when we were on that moose hunt, we saw, I had one of the best, our second to last night was one of the best nights of the Northern lights that I've ever seen. I mean, it was just, it was freezing cold outside. So you wanted to kind of go in the teepee where there was a fire going and get in your sleeping bag and close your eyes. But it was like two o'clock in the morning and the whole sky was just, I mean, unbelievable green. And so, you know, if you're only there for a few days, you know, you, you, you miss this stuff, you know, and, and I went on a moose hunt one time. It was out of Kotzebue. Um, and it was an awesome place. It was a wild place. Um, in fact, I have to give this landing strip details to Brian because this is a, it was a very, very cool place. And I don't, I don't think he necessarily knows where it is, but I have to get him the the landing strip. But it, it's, um, I was there for 20, we were there for 23 days. And so, you know, we saw packs of wolves hunting, you know, we saw massive grizzly bears and huge bull moose, you know, like I was watching this ridge and I'd see this, you know, massive bull here and a massive bull here and they grunt. And I'm watching them. They're, they're like six miles from me. So I'm seeing them like I can watch. I see this huge bull coming out of the trees. And then like two miles from around, I see another bull coming out of the trees. And I, I can see this one just like, whoa, whoa. And then I see them, and I see them, you know, they both walk over to individual trees and they start messing them up. And then it took them like, you know, 30, 40 minutes to kind of work into the same meadow. And I watched these two. I mean, they're both like 65, 68, 70 inch bulls come into this meadow, you know, just rock and their antlers back and forth. And, you know, they just kind of squared off and boom. And I watched those dudes fight brutally for like 30 minutes, I mean, there was mud flying. The whole field was torn up when they were done and they, you know, they did their thing. They fought brutally and then they turned and went their separate ways. But, you know, I watched that whole thing and, and, um, and it was funny when the pilot picked us up, you know, we got in and we're stra. you know, we look like I look right now. I mean, it (laughs) looked horrible. Just like, you know, I, I, I look like Ted Kaczynski's brother, you know, And, and so I'm getting in and, um, I'm, buckling in and, and, um, and this pilot goes, Hey, do you, you know, do you see any bears? I'm like, Oh, we saw multiple black bears, beautiful, beautiful black bears eating berries. And I said, we saw a couple of really big grizzlies, huge monster boars, a couple of sows with cubs. And he's, you know, and he, and he said, do you see any wolves? And I said, yeah, we saw three packs of wolves. We got surrounded a couple of times. We got some awesome footage of them, you know, and he's, and he's like, uh, you know, did you see any northern lights? I'm like, oh, multiple nights we saw the northern lights. and It was cool, Bo, because when we landed, everything was green. The berries were plump. Like it was summer. When we landed, it was summer. The alder leaves were green and, and the uh, um, the aspen leaves were green. And it, it was summer. And then we watched it come into full bloom, like full pea colors, And then we watched everything turn brown and all the leaves fall off the trees. And, you know, I remember seeing, I can remember seeing the quaking aspen. Like I could see the leaves so green and white, just kind of flickering in the wind. And then, and then I, you know, you see them when they're so golden that you can't possibly think that something that's dying could be so bright. And and we saw these colors that just, I mean, awe-inspiring, you couldn't help but look around and then, and then a week later or 10 days later, you've seen this brown crusted leaf laying in a puddle that's frozen over. And, you know, you, we watched it go from summer to winter in 23 days. And, and, uh, and we saw everything in between. The only thing we didn't see was a caribou, which there, there really aren't caribou in this area, but we saw massive bull moose. How we didn't kill one because we didn't kill one on the trip. How we didn't kill one. I'll, I'll never understand it. Cause we became, we came so close Every day. And we we could have killed. We got very, very picky because we were seeing very, very big bulls. And we were passing really big bulls. Um, we were hunting a couple of particular bulls that we saw that were world, world class. But, you know, they'd give us the slip one day. And then the next day they'd show up with 10 cows. And, but anyway, the pilot asked us all of these questions. And then we told him everything we'd seen. And he just kind of looked at us and he said, you know, people want to come here. For five, six, seven, eight days. And they want to see everything that you just described. He's like, but that's, it's not going to happen. You have to come here for 14, 20, 21, 25, 30 days to watch the whole world kind of give itself up to you. And and uh, and that's really that's really why I started doing longer and longer hunts, even whitetails, right? Instead of, instead of hunting whitetails for seven days, I want to hunt them for 14 days. I'd rather shoot. And, and just hanging my hat on success, I'd rather kill two animals in a year, three animals in a year, and completely immerse myself into that hunt and that experience than to go antelope in Wyoming, mule deer in Montana, white in Idaho, mountain lion here, turkeys here, like, you know, like kind of hunting TV, if you will, or just how some guys yeah. are, you know, do, 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 do. I'd much rather bring myself to North Dakota and immerse myself in the sunrises and the sunsets and then, you know, then take myself to Green Bay, Wisconsin and hunt divers on the big lake and really immerse myself and then and then, you know, head down to Illinois and, and look for big whitetails or up to Alaska, whatever it is, you know.
1: Yeah. And that 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 is so true too. Like when um I, I remember the first long long hunt that I did. And when I say long hunt, it was 14 days. It was in Colorado in 2018 and started off backpack hunting with my dad. And we hunted for seven days and never even saw an elk. I mean, it was dry conditions. They had moved down. So we completely relocated to a different area, got to see more country. And then he had to fly back. So he flew back. I met up with some other people and we ended up taking horses back into this, this wilderness area about Nine miles deep, the horses packed our gear and we walked next to it. And it was the first time I had ever hunted with pack animals, and that, that was, uh, that was interesting in its own. But g- when I got there, I remember it was like you said, it was summer. I got there at the end of August, and when I left September 15th, 16th, 17th, whatever it was, everything was full, you know, the Aspen's on fire. Were, yeah, it was yeah. amazing. And, and it, It was the the coolest experience. I didn't I didn't kill an elk on that trip at all. And so then that that led me to wanting to do more of these longer trips. And I have you know I have certain amount of days I can take vacation from work, so I have to, you know, plan around that. And so the next year I went to Idaho and we spent fourteen days hunting there. And I ended up killing my bull on the first day of the trip but I had my buddies with me that were still hunting. So, you know, we took the, the meat back into, uh, the local butcher and I had them keep it in the freezer there for, or in the fridge there for so long. And, and, uh, we just got to just see the whole entire thing and see the, the seasons change. And, and the same thing this year, I'm planning on going to Colorado to hunt mule deer in the high country on a, backpack hunt and we want to do that for a long period of time and and it rather than I want to see so many places it's like it's tough to but at the same time I don't I get anxious if I have to jump around and do those type of things and that's where to me it's important to to like you said fully embrace in that and and I think one of the things I heard you say somewhere down along the line is you know when people go on hunts a lot of the times they're they get there and they start getting anxious. They just, they, they feel like they need to, they need to kill something. Or if it's starting to get down and not, they don't get to really enjoy the whole process. And and I've caught myself doing that before. And of
0: course we all have.
1: Yeah. And it's like to, to really get into that mindset and do it that way is, I don't know that, that changed my whole experience when it comes to hunting is by, enjoying the whole season i mean in my whitetail season this past year it took me i started hunting them in october and you know on and off weekends sometimes i had a week off from work and then i didn't i didn't kill one until the first week of december so i had two and uh, you know two months and a week of hunting before i killed something i wouldn't have changed that for the world because it was i got to see everything i got to see the early season you know, going to some of the food source. I got to see them rutting. I got to see chasing. Then I got to see more of the the late season stuff, and it was it, it was really cool.
0: Yeah, and that's that's really, and you can experience this stuff. You really can. Um, I tend to, you know, you'll you'll see me go one way and talk about the wilderness, and then I'll talk about how amazing your backyard is, and then yeah. I'll talk about you know hunting some place for fourteen or twenty one days, and then. Also having that mindset of finding it in hours, right? Finding it in hours or finding it in, in, um, in days. And it's, it's all really about your mindset. So you can, you know, like if, if you have this super hectic schedule set up in the fall, I highly doubt that you're going to be able to kind of immerse yourself in these different areas. Like you're going to be running and, and, and gunning and, and, um, and with hunting you're going into different camps so it's kind of like there's there's always this kind of posturing when you get into the camp of like you know like who's there and who's this new guy coming into camp and there's always just kind of this dynamic but um but like like you spoke to sometimes you get off work and you go for a quick hunt and you you struggle to kind of shut work off well that's also a talent that's also a a mindset that you can work on getting into if you if you're going to grab a dozen decoys and you're going to go sit on your farm pond and try to kill a mallard for dinner, or a couple of blue-winged teals, or a wood duck um, in an afternoon hunt, like you can, uh, there is the ability to you know separate your mind and immerse yourself into this two-hour hunt that you're going to dive into. I've become, in my life, I, I became very, very good at that because accessing big country and accessing wild places was not not something that I could do in high school. I had to drive to a duck hunt. I had to go walk. Um, I used to walk these farm roads or fire roads in a wildlife refuge that was open for duck hunting when I was in high school. And, you know, I get out of school and I grab my dog and I grab my shotgun and I go sneak down this, down this fire road and jump these ponds and shoot, you know, a couple of ducks here and there. And, um, man, those were big adventures and they each one took like three hours. And, uh, and they were huge. They were huge. And I loved them. And, and, um, so that's also a, you know, I don't want people to come away thinking that they have to hunt elk or carib or moose or grizzly bears to kind of like go to a far off place. Like you can do this in your yard. You really can whether it be fly, fishing, fly fishing for little local rainbows or brookies or little browns. And you're you know, like, you can go to another place. Like you can immerse yourself. It doesn't take very much or very long to really find adventure. And, and, um, And, you know, there's people that go on these massive hunts, myself included. I discovered this last year. I was guilty of it last year. I know guys that go on massive hunts, $100,000 hunts, if you will, big (laughs) sheep hunts, moose hunts, caribou hunts. And they're never even present when they're there. They're worried about work. They're worried about family. They're worried about... Um, being successful they're worried about their next hunt that's coming up in British Columbia in a week or two weeks. And, and uh, they never really allow themselves to get there. So the big ticket hunts in the far off places aren't necessarily guaranteed that you're going to be able to swing your mind into the right place.
1: Yeah. And I mean, it, yeah, that's, that's a very, very good point and And yeah, definitely something I can work on for some of my, you know, after work ones. And I'm always trying to you know, learn those types of things and learn how the mindset shift. Cause I, I've just learned so much with hunting, like everything that happened, what's well, really anything in life, your mindset determines how anything goes, you know, and if, even if something's challenging or something is tougher than you, you imagined the way you look at that and how you assess that in your own mind is how, how that outcome is going to be, you know, it could that, or I guess, the outcome could look the same from the outside, but the way you experience that can be different depending on how your mindset is within it. Mm
0: -hmm. Of course. Mm -hmm. And
1: yeah. And I, I don't know. That's just, that's just something that uh, it's, it's an ever evolving thing. And, and, you know, I, I've learned from some of these uh, adventure hunts that, you know, whether it's out West, when I started this podcast, I did it for two reasons. One was selfishly to be able to interview people to learn more about doing these adventure style hunts, and then two, I was like, with well, throwing a a mic on, you know, I could help others be able to do the, you know, or at least give the give them the knowledge or the the motivation to realize that it's possible to do that and go. But what I ended up learning when I started sharing some of my whitetail hunts in Pennsylvania, you know, that's an adventure in its own and it took a mindset shift. That was just something I did. I didn't think of it yeah. that way and now I look at it in a completely different way than I did even 5 6 years ago. And mm-hmm. it's it's it is pretty cool to be able to do that and depending on where you're at in your life and how much time you can dedicate to things it it definitely takes a different shift.
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's 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 big adventure. I I can vividly recall uh, when I started bow hunting, which was in my early years of college, literally setting out on a 53-acre piece of woods to hunt a doe or or a large buck, but the opportunity of me seeing a large buck was probably not going to happen. So it was basically a doe hunt, and it was as captivating as anything I've ever done still to this day. Sneaking into the woods, picking the areas that I was going to hunt, looking at the lay of the land listening for the deer seeing wild turkeys bald eagles black bears like it's was, it was fantastic
1: yeah no i i i can i can totally relate to that so uh, another thing that that uh i wanted to talk to you about so like when you're getting ready for these types of hunts because i i've learned that when you go on these longer hunts or just any venture style hunt one of the things that to keep in check, which is kind of what we've been talking about, is your mind and and your body. I mean, they can get wore out quick. My first elk hunt, four days into it, my first backpack hunt, I was like going nuts in my head, and I was like, you know, I never realized that I relied on this thing, my phone, before until oh, yeah. I and I was, I was, you know, I took pride. In I I don't need that kind of stuff. You know, that it, it doesn't yeah. bother me until you you don't have cell service for so many days or you don't, do, and when you're new to it, that's a, that's a big deal, you know, and mm. how, how and, and not related to the cell phone, but when it comes to like any of these types of hunts that are difficult, whether it be you're on your mind, on your body, how are you getting prepared for that? Like say this time of year when maybe you're not going on as many adventures?
0: Sure. Um, well, the body is a little bit easier to control than the mind. For me. Um, so you know, the body comes boils down to kind of nuts and bolts for me. It's pushing weights in the gym, pretty heavy weights, not heavy in the regards of like power lifting, but but definitely lifting heavy weights and going through a complex, uh, comprehensive full body workout. I basically work out I do a full body workout for lack of a better schedule. I do Monday, Wednesday, Friday essentially. And then Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, essentially, I'll find something to do, whether that be mountain biking or snowshoeing or, you know, whatever it is, doing some sort of cross training, which I also end up doing on the days that I'm lifting weights, Um, particularly in the wintertime, late winter, early spring. It's very – it's not uncommon for me to uh, throw on a 45-pound Raptor weight vest and snowshoe several miles every night with, you know, just taking my dogs out, whether it be honestly 20 below zero or or 20 above. And, and, um, so it's just kind of always keeping my body moving, shooting my bow, um, tinkering with gear. But, but really the, the, my baseline is, is heavy weights. That's, that's my, that's my baseline in, in, in the off season, if you will. It's trying to hit, you know, literally top of the head to the bottom of my feet, like full scale workouts that had give me this base of strength and give me this base to, of, um, of aerobic ability to kind of like as a launching pad and, um, and then coupling that with, um, you know, doing, that stupid rogue echo bike, the, the, you know, doing intervals on the bike and weighted jump ropes and, and, uh, smashing out trails on my fat tire bike and snowshoeing, like all this stuff that kind of culminates into moving your body naturally. Um, the mental aspect is a little bit trickier to kind of nail down, right? It's a little bit trickier to kind of put your, put your, um, finger on the pulse and, um, It's a little bit more for me. It's just a natural immersion into um, being present. It's a natural immersion into I want to be in the wilderness, um, rain or shine, severe wind or not. Like these are the places that I want to go, and these are the things that I want to do. So I'm wrapping my head around being there for you know, 10 days, 14 days, 20 days, whatever. Um, it's just kind of, like you said, a lot of people are, um, you know, we're so linked to our phones. I don't care who you are. Like this thing's always within a, uh, you know, grabbing it. And, and, um, it's so poisonous. It's the worst information. It's the worst communication. It's the worst everything I saw. You know, I just, you like, you look at people's, um, profiles of whatever social media profile they're using. And it's, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's you. I don't care if it's Tom Brady. It's total bullshit. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's, uh, am I the person that I portray in Instagram? 100%. Do I do those things to the absolute, um, Involvement and, and, and intrinsic value of, of engaging in the wilderness wildlife and, and writing the things that I write. Absolutely. 100% me. 100% me diving into my psyche and being as present as I can to share with people. But do I do that every day? No. Uh, you know, I just got done washing dishes before I talked to you, and and walking my dogs around, you know, the cabin, and I just got done shooting my recurve, and and um, so not everything is is like that, but the mental state is really it's way more difficult and way more powerful than um, than the physical state. Like I I've hunted and hiked with with um pretty chubby guys, you know, got guys that had a, a pretty robust, uh, <laughs> extra pounds yeah. and they, and, and they hiked with gusto. Like they were just absolutely fixated on getting to the next mountain, fixated on getting to the top, fixated on crossing the river. And it was awesome. And then I've hunted with guys that looked like literal Greek gods. I mean, shredded beasts that were so whiny and so weak and so fixated on the comforts and being, being catered to in life that I literally wanted to arrow them (laughs) within an hour. If it was legal, if somebody said, yeah, if that guy's really like, we can eat them. I just (laughs) stick an arrow in them. Let's eat them and let's call it a day. (laughs) And uh, yeah, that's, horrible to say, but 100% how, so it's, you know, the mental thing is tough to work on, but really it's, it's accepting where you are, accepting what you want to do. And then like a good friend of mine, and I worked on this project with him, Michael Easter. He's a writer for, um, men's health magazine, and he's a professor at UNLV in in Las Vegas. And, um, he's coming out with a book. It's going to hit shelves in, uh, a couple of weeks. It's called the comfort crisis. And he went and spent eight weeks with me in Alaska because he had never hunted in his life. He flew out with Brian. We went and killed his first animal he's ever killed was a caribou with Brian. He killed a stunning bull um, with Brian. He was very upset about it. Definitely took a lot of his um, energy to kind of um, pull the trigger and walk up to this bull and see it laying on the ground with its eyes clothes basically looked like it was sleeping like it was very difficult for him all the way to us breaking it down and turning it into what he said oh now it looks like meat to yeah. you know going through all the different scenarios he hunted doll sheep with us in the chugach mountains in october a brutal hunt he hunted brown bears with us on the alaska peninsula like caribou um out of kotzebue and um and he just kind of ran the gamut and so he wrote this book called The Comfort Crisis and literally basically lines out how um we our health and fitness our health and wellness is directly tied to the difficulties that we experience in life, the difficult places that we put ourselves in, the places where we're cold, where we're wet, where we're scared. When we are in those conditions, we are invigorating ourselves, right? We are attacking our immune systems to kind of come forth and our mental states of, of being strong and happy and, and um as difficult as it gets, the happier and stronger we get. You know, and so like we're in a we're in the world now that's really. I mean, our 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 world right now is so messed up. We are so weak right now. Like the things that if I don't watch the news, but if you watch the five o'clock news, the political landscape, the uh, this woke culture, the sensitivities that everyone's feeling towards each other in life, racial issues, uh, sex issues, all of these different kind of hot topics right now make me want to vomit. Because if you, give in, if you give any one of these people a sword, and I have a sword, and you have a sword, and we have to go get our food, or I have a bow and an arrow, and you have a bow and an arrow, and we have to go get our food, or we have to engage in war against each other because there's only enough food for one of us, now we've got something to talk about. Everything else that you think you've got something to talk about, keep it to yourself because none of us want to hear it. Like We were designed to be warriors. And warriors are exactly what we've not become. And so it's um, the, the mental state, while difficult to kind of put your to, – to stamp your hand on, to kind of wrap your, your, your mind around, is um, when you get there, when you own that, when it's yours, when you're standing there in the pouring rain and – you are enjoying it as much as that the the dry day that you're experiencing when you're when you're welcoming all of that stuff into your experience and you still have a smile on your face and you're still ready to go the next 10 miles well not you know you're winning yeah 100 <laughs> percent
1: that was that was a really good way of being able to explain that and you know and and i think so i i've i'd be interested to hear what you think on this but i've I've read like different things where people say, you know, mental toughness is something that's born. And then, you know, others that think that it can be gained. And I'm, or you can earn it, I guess maybe is a better term for it. But I believe that you can definitely get mentally stronger by doing these types of things.
0: 100%.
1: Like, I look back on even going on my first hunt and I thought I was the toughest badass that there was, you know, not, not really, I'm not that conceited, but I I, I felt like I was in a good place and I realized I was weak when it came to doing these things. And as I evolved and got through it, you know, I was, I was bitching about little things and we were hiking and stuff. And I was just like, you almost had to come to grips with yourself and be like, you know, knock it the hell off. This isn't, this isn't a big deal and and what that ended up teaching me is like even coming back to my regular work life the things that i would complain about and get upset about or, or you know get mad about they weren't that big of a deal like they weren't they weren't anything there wasn't anything that that was life changing or whatever and and i've i've truly loved these types of hunts where it does challenge you like that and i feel like when i come back i'm just you're a a better person from that and and I, I I do think for me too is like when I am in better physical conditioning it can correlate to your mental state from the I think the confidence level more than anything I'm not saying like being shredded or you know looking a certain way but being actually functional and being able to you know throughout the summer being doing things that will put you in a tough place say even like for me here in the Appalachian mountains going on a, a weekend long backpacking trip where you're just pushing yourself and trying to do things and put yourself in those uncomfortable positions. And, and, and you know, I I couldn't agree more with what you said about society. And it's my, my brother actually deleted all of his social media and was just like, I can't, he, he's like, I just can't do it anymore. <laughs> he's like, I'll, I'll take he's my,
0: ha- he's happier because of it.
1: Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah. he he definitely is. Yeah. He's living in Montana making guns for a living and uh just Oh, is he? Yeah, he's a gunsmith and uh moved from well, he was in the military and moved from Pennsylvania to, to Colorado and then didn't like as many people that were in Colorado and found this small sure. town in Montana and started making making rifles and stocks and just enjoying life and doing the simple things and he, he told me that, you know, not that long ago. He's like, I I don't miss social media and the news and everything else, you know, it's, it's, there's, there's one thing to be educated on things that are going on, but in in my, in my thought process is my own happiness and things that come from it is, is more important than, than knowing who's upset over something.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I, I, yeah, your, your, your brother's definitely, has it figured out? I mean, I, 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 in all honesty, there's so much more, there's so much more for you that lives within your own ears and your own experiences than you could, you could ever find from someone else. Like if you're looking for, you know, if you're going to someone else for inspiration, if you're going to someone else to kind of look at their experiences and, and, um, Maybe just to to be a voyeur, to watch from afar, and to say, "Oh, what is you know, what's what's Donnie Vincent up to this week? Like, what's he doing? What what kind of crazy things is up to?" Well, then, that's that's not what ev- what I would want anyone to ever look at my social media for, or to watch our films for. Um, by and large, how I see it is how I want it to be is all enveloped around storytelling all enveloped around inspiration of, well, I think I can go, you know, I'm a little bit overweight and I don't have a ton of money, but I think I can go on a caribou hunt or I think I can go out West on a, on an elk hunt or you know what, instead of hunting from my house this weekend, I think I'm going to go set up a tent on my hunting lease or I'm going to go set up a tent on my, you know, my dad's farm or my friend's farm And we're going to have a, you know, we're going to have a little bit of a bonfire and we're going to cook our food over the fire. We're going to bring a little backpacking stove and we'll have our little stove and our teepee or, or whatever it is that we're going to do. But I, I want to sleep in a sleeping bag and I want to get up in the morning and have it be chilly and, and put my long underwear on and get dressed up and, you know, and grab my bow and put my boots on and head off into the woods and, you know, and then, and then that night when we come back and, and let's say we're successful, well, now we have a, a big, a big doe or a big buck hanging on the meat pole. And, and you can see her brown fur there, you know, you you can kind of see her being lit up by the embers of the fire. And, and uh, you know, you did it, you're sitting here and there's your tent and you have your fire and you have your food. And there you have this big, beautiful doe who's, who's cooling on the, um, from the meat pole. And, you know, and you're, you're starting to grow tired from the day and you can hear, you know, barred owls or great horned owls hooting in the distance, and, and, um, and, you know, you, whatever else, you're listening to coyotes howl or whatever, but you're, you kind of, even, even though your house is five miles away or 10 miles away or an hour away, like you've immersed yourself into that particular hunt. And, and, um, you know, is it easier to wake up in your bed at home where the house is already warm and your, your hunting gear is already in your truck and you have to just, hit your ignition and, and hop in your truck and go, yeah, it's easier, but it's a little bit more valuable to you, to your mind, to your body, to wake up where it's cold and to wake up and to listen to the owls and the coyotes as you're falling asleep at night. It's a little bit more difficult. And it's a little bit more valuable to you. And you'll come, you'll ultimately come away with it. Uh, uh you, will you'll, you'll come away with a lot more than, than, than shortcutting. And, um, It's really important. It's like, we only have so many days. People always say live life like you're dying. (laughs) That's nearly impossible, but man alive, you've got to try. You've really got to try. The clock is ticking and you've got to, you know, um, you really got to, you really got to kind of harness it and and don't let, don't let your mind slip to to shortcuts. Even this is, personal, but you know, don't let your mind fall the shortcuts like drugs, right? Don't, 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 don't try to shortcut yourself to a good time by trying to um, alter your mental state, like get outside, push your body. I don't care if you're a big fat guy or a big fat lady, push your body. I promise you, you'll be measurably happier to move along and to, and to build your mind and, and your physicality and, and to actually start facing your days like a warrior. I promise you.
1: Yeah, yeah I, I I can definitely uh, agree with that, and it's it's one of those things that it's it you have to constantly be cognizant of that and be present and and make an effort to do that because it's so easy to slip into creature comforts and things that are are going on and and I I think that be, being present and thinking about these things and and making an effort at it you need to because otherwise, like you said, it's 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 super easy to wake up in your bed and and do that versus going out and, and sleeping in a tent or what, you know, whatever the situation might be. That's, 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 it's very, very true. Or even, you know, if you wanted to go, you know, as I'm thinking right now, we're, we're getting into the, the spring here. I love, shed hunting and scouting for whitetails and stuff here and 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 I actually live in the the middle of the the Pennsylvania elk herd so you know the oh. the elk are dropping their antlers now and going out and doing things and you know it, it's yeah but there're things that you know require an effort to do and and to spend the the time doing it or driving to it or or whatever you know depending on where you're coming from that I think it's so important to do that at all times of the year. Not just if you're doing a hunt in September, that's not your one, one and only time you can make things happen. Oh yeah. You know?
0: Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's always an opportunity to get outside. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Well, so Donnie, I have, I do have another question for you and, and it's, It's one that I started when I started the podcast, I asked this question to every one of my guests. And at some point I lost this question as far as asking people. And and for you, I think it it seems very, it seems very fitting. And the, the question is how would, if you could define adventure for you, how would you define it?
0: Um, how would I define it? Yep. Uh, pretty easily as a state of mind. Uh, that's what it is for me. And, and, and um, like some of the things that we've discussed, whether it be um, turkey hunting on the 10 acres that is attached to your house or um, walking across the Arctic Circle, uh, walking across the Brooks Range in the Arctic Circle of Alaska and, and hiking, you know, a thousand miles. Um, it all has to do with what's going on between your ears because you could cross um, Antarctica and not really ever be present in doing so. And, um, you know, you can climb Mount Everest, you can do all of these things, whatever it may be that, that you kind of, that you kind of harness and, and, uh, depending on where your mind is living during that event and depending on kind of the why not why to the world, but your why, um, I think is really, really what defines adventure to an individual. And for me, that is um, doing it the right way for me. Um, it's it's uh, getting outside. It's camping. It's um, sharing mornings with friends, great conversation or total silence. It's um, everything from, you know, all the way down to insects. To watching the ducks, to watching the deer, caribou, moose, um, just just being an observer and, and immersing myself into a particular area, and uh, and ultimately being super mindful and super present, and that's where I that's where I find my adventure.
1: I like it. So, where what what do you see as far as uh, some if you could put adventures as a. Um, a, a task or not? I mean, task isn't the right word. But w- what do you have planned? I guess for this year, what are some adventures you're looking to to go on?
0: Um, well, I'm I'm anxious to, um, I'm a sucker for spring turkey hunting, and spring bear hunting too. But I don't have a, um, I had a spring bear hunt that I was going to go on last year in, in Canada, which of course got canceled with covid and and um, and I think it's gonna I don't think there's gonna allow Americans into Canada as of yet to to do that so that's gonna be off the table but um, I'm really anxious for spring turkey hunting and and um, I've been shooting my recurve for months now and um, I spent this last weekend with Joel Turner from uh, he has a company called shot IQ yep. out of Seattle you know him?
1: I, I, I don't know him personally, but I, I know of him and have watched a lot of his, his videos. Yeah,
0: he's insane. He's remarkable. I think every single person that shoots a rifle, a pistol, a bow, a recurve, everyone should take his course. If you can take it face-to-face with him, you absolutely should. If you can't, uh, then you need to take it online. But I'm going to um, – basically for the most part probably exclusively turkey hunt this year with my recurve and um and i'm just really excited about that endeavor like just shooting i've worked with tom Colum senior out of rocky mountain specialty gear in um in colorado and tom helped me beat it into my head of the form of shooting a recurve right and um and then this last weekend I went and worked with Joel and he gave me even more little nuances to kind of change my body up, to move my body around and, and then uh, really worked on my mental game of just like going through that process and pop, going through that process and pop. And like, I could not believe how accurate I was with the recurve and just literally kind of, Gap shooting, but also just eyeballing the target. And I tell you all this because it was just like this process of like moving my body. Like I was feeling we were shooting for like ten hours a day, feeling my shoulders getting sore. And just pop, you know, and going through that process and really driving these arrows home. And I love wild turkeys. I love the dance that they do, the display, the fighting, the, the, I love chilly mornings. I love hearing them gobble and spit and drum. And I love even the quiet mornings where it seems like there isn't a single Turkey in the countryside. And, and, uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that with a recurve and I'm in a blind. I'll probably start in a blind, but I'd like to migrate out of the blind. I've the last several years I've bow hunted with no blind and, and, uh, loved just sitting there with my compound face painted up kind of in some natural habitat ghillie suit on david smith decoys out front you know and seeing that tom walk past you at like two yards you know and you're just sitting there like don't dare move and he's all puffed up and he's moving towards the decoys you know and then when he starts attacking him just like literally just sitting there and like getting into it picking your spot and killing that bird like oh my word and so now like (laughs) thinking about sitting there with a stick bow, you know, and then just like, and he attacks the decoys and just like coming a full draw and like pulling through and just, oh man, I it's, I mean, that's the next thing. Yeah. Right. That's the next thing. In addition to, I have a lot of work coming up this spring, but that's the next thing. And then, um, I have a really cool hunt in Alaska that's coming up. It's going to be really, really hard. It's caribou and moose. Um, it's going to be really hard. It might be so hard that, it's going to suck a little bit of the enjoyment out it, it'll feel amazing when I'm done, but it's, um, it's going to be so difficult that it might kind of grind me down a little bit until that I see that end in sight or until I see a massive caribou or potentially a massive moose. That seems to, yeah, be a, a quick, uh, you know, influx of energy and adrenaline. And so I, I have a, a hunt there and then, um, I actually might. I might actually might do some hunting in Maine this September, um, and do some East Coast stuff, which I haven't done. I mean, I've never done it to be honest with you, but I've I've longed for it since I was a little kid. I used to go up to Maine fly fishing every year, and and I have an opportunity. Um, William Altman is my director of photography at uh, Sick and he lives in Maine, and so there's some opportunities for us to do some work in Maine, and and uh, so I mean that 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 takes us up through September, I'm sure like I said, I I might reach out to Brian and see if he'll fly me in this summer and just drop me off in some godforsaken place this summer, just so I can breathe a little bit and, and maybe cast a fly rod and, and, um, eat some blueberries and whatever else I can get myself in trouble with.
1: Uh, um, so with that Alaska hunt, were you saying that the difficulty would be because you're hunting with the recurve, like why it would be so difficult or was there something else particular with it?
0: Yeah, it's, it's it's getting dropped in an area that is, so what I would do is I'd get dropped in an area and then I would migrate my way to a river and then float down this river to kind of get out. But where I'm getting dropped off and where the river is, is a pretty good distance. And then, and I have camera gear rafts camping gear, hunting gear. And then and then if I'm successful in killing a caribou, I have to kill carry the caribou as well. And so I have to get all of this to the river, which is a long, long ways. And then this river is notorious for not having water in it. So if it doesn't have water in it, that's going to be a, a long... <laughs> way out to, you know, and, and, um, or a long way to, you know, the river will have water in it eventually, but it'll be, it might be a bit of a trek down a dry riverbed to get to where I'll actually be blowing a raft up and floating.
1: Yeah, we were just talking about mental game there, mental toughness, and that that'll you'll you'll find it there. That's uh Yeah. If yeah, you get down to the a tricky drive, one drive yeah. over bed. <laughs> well
0: it, So um so I'm gonna I'm gonna give that a go and and uh yeah, we'll see.
1: Well um and my comment about uh so when you're saying about hunting Maine and the East Coast, I I think just knowing I mean at least knowing you a little bit and just seeing you, the stuff that you do, I think you'll really enjoy the Appalachian mountains. I mean, I, that's, that's my home and I am super passionate about that, that area because like, I just think it doesn't get the attention as the Rocky mountain. You don't got these, you know, giant views as far as being able to see for miles or anything. Cause it's thicker country and stuff, but it's got its own, just wildness to it that's incredible and there's so many black bears and turkeys and deer and, yeah. and in some areas rattlesnakes and different yeah. things that are just like i don't know i i i love the appalachian Mountains, so i'll be interested to hear how how your experience goes there
0: so much charm right so much you know you have these big rolling mountains but like you said it's you know there's tall trees on them it's it, it's really thick and um stunning. And then you have all these little farms that are kind of splaster out the, the Appalachians. Right. And so, yeah.
1: It's,
0: yeah, I mean, stunning, beautiful.
1: Yeah. So, well, good luck on all of those uh, adventures you have there. And, and again, Donnie, thank you so much for, for coming on. And could, would you uh, want to tell everyone where they can find, uh, you know, everything that you're doing as far as from the, the media standpoint?
0: Sure. Um, unfortunately, you can find me on Instagram on Donnie underscore Vincent and uh, it's Facebook too. You can find me on Facebook and, and um, and then uh, Donnie com is where we sell our films. And we have a lot of cool stuff that's coming up this year that uh, like I said, that Australia piece and, and uh, we might start releasing a lot more um, content for free uh, long shorts, things like that just to kind of, you know, we just want people to really enjoy our content. And some of it is getting so old that, you know, we haven't even released like, you know, the, our first thing we ever filmed was a Dal sheep on in Tok, Alaska in 2011. And it, the hunt was brutal. It was in blizzards and we arrowed a really big ram and it was super hard and, you know, hiked 30 plus miles on our last day. And all my toenails fell off that day. And, and, uh, we've never even showed anyone the hunt and, and it's, uh, And while it's not filmed as beautifully as we filmed our stuff as of late, it's very, very good. Like it definitely, you know, it'll have your attention, but, you know, we have a lot of work to. Kind of bring to light, so um, and 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 our, our our films are being found in a lot more a uh, lot different places now. I'd love to give you a list right now, but I have no idea where where uh, they're all
1: <laughs> but they all live right now. I'm sure if you go to your website, you can find some yes. more information yes. there. And, and I heard you say something about Amazon Prime and and yes. stuff. Now the Rivers Divide is yes. is yep. on there. Maybe I'm missing things, but I, I remember seeing that recently. So yep.
0: and I think we might. There's a new app or new to us called Waypoint TV. We might start doing some work with those guys I think that's on Roku okay um so yeah but um but w- we have no intentions of stopping anytime soon and um, and then you know we have some other um, company projects and stuff that we're working on but we have a lot of really cool a lot of really cool work coming out
1: awesome well I'm looking forward to it and again Donnie thank you so much for coming on and taking some time out of your your evening here
0: anytime anytime you want